welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. The Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 24. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli. Amen. Well, last Sunday I had the great joy to attend Seeds Corolla Park. And uh, I would encourage all of us, if you get a chance, to go there and visit, to, to encourage and to be blessed and to be a blessing there. And I'll tell you what, the Raisin Toast is something else as well. So enjoy that. Uh, they were very keen uh, for me, because I just did a little surprise visit. I didn't tell anybody I was coming. Uh, they're very keen for me to send back their greetings to Seeds Aberfoyle. And so I'm doing that to you. They, they want to send their love uh, and their best wishes uh, and to let me know they pray for you and pray for us during the service. Like we often pray for Corolla Park, uh, they have a little time in their service. They pray for us too. So uh, we are blessed. I, I encourage you uh, to keep all of seeds in your prayers at this particular moment. So We've already heard the various different ministries, or some of the various different ministries of Seeds, you know, XS and Seeds Crowder Park, and we've got kids and craft and skate park. The list is long, huge. So I encourage you to keep all of Seeds in our prayers. So today we turn our attention to the rest of chapter 3 of Luke, and I'm tasked with speaking from verse 21 to 38. And if you open your Bibles... You can see that from verse 23 onwards, it gets really complicated. And there's a list of really long names, which I spared Jasmine from reading out publicly to you because it's not fair on anybody uh, to have to publicly read those words. So if you've got your Bibles, your notebooks, uh, we're going to dive deep in this passage to see what God says to us today. That makes a difference for how we live our lives tomorrow. That's what we're looking for. In fact, I think what God is going to say to us today will have an impact on the next generation. So let me lead you in prayer. Let's let's pray, shall we? In fact, why don't don't you pray quietly for a moment, asking God to open your heart? Lord, collectively, we open our hearts. Please speak into us. We desperately need your words to be truth and life for us, to show us the way. Speak, Lord, for we all want to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So prayer is a segue into our chapter for today. And indeed, it is one of the big themes that we see developed through the book of Luke. And in verse 21, we read that as Jesus was being baptised, he was praying. And you're probably going to hear me say this a few times today, but if 
you know, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's probably good enough for us. True? One of the many things that I am heartened about in our church at the moment is our renewed hunger for prayer. I'm hearing more and more people pushing the pause button on their lives in order to make space for that holy moment to pray. And here in verse 21, we see Jesus praying in this really important time. But you know, prayer doesn't have to be around key decisions. Prayer, um, in fact, is much better when it's habitual rather than when it is haphazard. It's better when it's not a crisis to pray. The habit is there and then we live into it. So there's prayer offered today at the end of both services and of course, online for anybody that would like to avail themselves of that and just come to the front or mention it to the online host and they would be uh, delighted to pray for you. There are also prayer cards. I don't know if many people know about this. There's prayer cards at the back. If you want to fill one of those out, there's a little black box at the back. If you want to fill one of those out and pop it in the offering boxes at the back, we'll make sure that they are attended to. Now, we've moved into this narrative or we've moved away from one of the key questions that Luke has been asking and we've, the question is who is Jesus to seeing who Jesus is in black and white and you can see for yourself and we heard it read out to us who Jesus is. It's clear as anything. It's not, no guessing. It's not hazy. It is, it is stark and it's how it is apparent. So, so John the Baptist was living up to his name, of course, baptising people. And Jesus joins the line and is himself baptised. Now notice in Luke's account, there is no mention, as there is in other accounts, of John protesting to baptise Jesus. Luke's focus is on significantly other things at this moment. And our, and our attention is is not taken to John, but to Jesus and to his status before God and God's words to him at this particular moment. When Jesus is baptised, he's praying and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of, the, uh, of a dove and then the voice from heaven that tells us so much about who Jesus is and his status. Let me read from verse 21. When, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. So this is the bit where there's no ambiguity who Jesus is. Listen, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So again, we're taken into that intimate relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. And again, we get to see just how precious, how, how deep, how intimate that bond is in the Godhead. And the words from heaven are so private. Do you notice use of the, the first, um, the, the first um, pronoun there? You? It's, it's like... It's like at all this moment we are eavesdropping into a private conversation between God and his son. Now we can also here clearly see the work of the Trinity. His God, Father, Son and Spirit involved in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. A ministry 
that was, of course, as we now know, but you wouldn't have known if you just started reading through at that point, a ministry that is about the salvation of the world. All are invested, all are working to make this happen. All the Godhead is involved at this moment. Why? So that you too, we too, can live into the intimacy that we see expressed there between God, Father and Son. Now I want to just linger here for a moment on the baptism of Jesus because it's a curious thing. Let's, let's just think about this just, just for a moment. Often we take baptism as a sign of repentance and a symbol of the resurrection. That is, we've lived our own lives. We know full well it doesn't work with us being the king of our own life. And now we say publicly for everybody, we want to die to ourselves and live for God, live for Christ. It's like we are sick of walking our own way in our own strength and we want to surrender our lives to God's agenda. Now clearly, Jesus is not asking for repentance of sin, nor is he seeking to be baptised as a symbol of the resurrection because the resurrection hadn't quite happened up until that point, so there's a little bit of an issue there. I think Jesus' desire to be baptised was around obedience and the desire to be set apart for God's work. It was a deliberate engaging with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying in his baptism that his desire is to be the person that God wants to follow God's way and to be anointed, set apart for that task. You know, there's no doubt when when we're baptised, there's many here that have been baptised, something takes place. Something profound. Something holy. Spiritual. And, And God, through the Holy Spirit, does something to us, changes us, remakes us, sets us apart. And I can hardly put into words what takes place in that exchange between our spirit and God's spirit as we surrender ourselves to God's will and join ourselves with him. I default back to the old description of a sacrament, which we've already done one this morning, communion and baptism. The the Westminster Confession, or the, the theological language for this, is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. In other words, in plain English, that while we do something on the outside, God does something on the inside. Isn't that a beautiful thing? While we do something on the outside, God does something on the inside. That's just what happened a few moments ago when we took communion together. Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not need to be baptised, but he did as an act of obedience towards the Father. He did it as a holy act. And I think of it as a sign of trusting and stepping and being set apart as he steps into the next three years of his ministry. It was a way to be anointed for what he was about to do. So let me ask you, I wonder how many in our church have not been baptised? If Jesus was baptised, we should all be. If it's good enough for Jesus... It's good enough for us. 
We should all be baptised. It's a holy act that sets us apart for the work that God has for you. Baptism is taken as a sign to follow God and to live for him. Baptism means that we publicly declare Jesus is Lord over our lives and we are not ashamed to declare it. In fact, baptism is slightly embarrassing. You get dunked in front of everybody. But it's a humbling in order that you might live for Christ. Baptism is a command of Jesus. And all believers should be baptised. If you love Jesus and you desire to follow him and you are following him, you should be baptised. It is a conviction that we hold as a church. So with that in mind, we will offer baptisms next week here in this service, both services in the morning. If you have not been baptised and you are feeling a little bit of anxiety rising in you at this moment, then be baptised next week. Your time is now. There is no better time. It's not worth waiting. Jesus' command is for you at this particular moment. Straight after the service, I'm going to be sitting or standing there. Come and tell me that you want to be baptised after the service or during the service next week. Come and speak to me and tell me that you'll be baptised next week. Be obedient to Jesus and follow his example. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't push it away. Tell me today and we'll organise it for next week. If you are online... It doesn't go so well baptising a camera. But we will organise it some way for you to be baptised and to take up this step and honour Jesus in your life as well. The text tells us then in verse 23 that Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And at the end of verse 23 it says, He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. We then move into the bit that I spared Jazz from reading out to us. Um, Some small mercies that I had on you there, Jazz. Interestingly, this list of Jesus' ancestors is different to that which we have from Matthew. Not all of it, but enough for us to ask, how come? Why is it different? There have been a lot of different explanations as to why. Some say that one follows Mary Mary's line, the other follows Joseph's line. Some say that Joseph had a father and then he also, his father died and he had a stepfather. The simple answer is, let me cut to the chase after reading about uh, eight commentaries on this, nobody knows. (laughs) And it's one of those curious mysteries in the Bible that we might need further light on to understand. If you go really burning, you can ask Jesus uh, when you see him face to face. I think there's probably other things you want to talk to Jesus about before about the genealogy. But we do know this, we know a lot. We know that Luke's genealogy list seems to be in groups of seven with 78 names, which means it's 77 generations. 
Honestly, if you want, I can go into a huge amount of detail about this, but I'm not certain it will really help us in growing closer to Jesus. But I do know, though, that providing a genealogy in that day and age was vital. In fact, to be a rabbi, you needed to be able to prove who who your descendants were, and if you were a priest, it needed to include certain famous Israelites. There are actually Old Testament instances of priests being stood down because they, because they could not prove their lineage accurately. And I understand that for more prominent individuals, their family line was kept on public record for everybody to know. So when Luke finishes the genealogy with a line verse, in verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam the son of God it means something very significant to the original readers a good Jew reading that would be shocked to the core to see that written there it is the ultimate definition of sonship of Jesus as Messiah And it's setting him up to be the saviour. Of course, we've already hit this marker immediately after the baptism of Jesus when heaven opened and God said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. We've been told in no uncertain terms that Jesus is divine, that there is a unique and intimate bond between the two. They are connected in a way we cannot understand, but through his ministry we too are adopted into but we, we, we might want to know more about why Luke included this long list of ancestors in chapter 3. Because if, if this went to a modern publisher, to an editor, this was a modern biography, um, this wouldn't have made the first cut. This would have been on the, on the cutting room floor immediately. It's not really a gripping narrative that would keep us up at night and make us read more. But think about this in respect to the genealogy. Firstly, it tells us that the age of the Messiah has come. Secondly, it contrasts Jesus with Adam. And it shows Jesus is the second Adam. Really significant. So if you've ever read anything in that, it's what the first Adam did, the second Adam undoes. Thirdly, it shows the lineage of Jesus through to Israel through Adam, through Abraham and David, really significant uh, parts of their history. Fourthly, it shows Jesus' lineage to all of humanity, beginning with Adam. Fifthly, it asserts Jesus' sonship to the Father. It's rich, isn't it? Just just this group of names. So. Um, fair reasons for Luke to include this huge list of unpronounceable names in chapter 3. So, so what does it mean for us then? So I can, we can go on into all the details of this. But, but what does it mean to us? What does it mean for tomorrow at work? What does it mean for us as we, as we raise our children, our, manage our uni work, uh, go, go to our retirement homes or, or, or be with our families? It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us his connection with the Father, with Israel, with all of humanity. But it also tells us more. It tells us about the people who came 
before Jesus. Verse 27, the son of Jonan, the son of Risa. Verse 30, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah. Verse 32, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon. It it tells us, it tells us about us. It tells us about all all those names and all those men, and if you go into Matthew's version, there's women included as well. It tells us that all these had something that contributed towards the next generation. And so when I think about that, which I have been this last week, it, it tells me of legacy. It tells me about passing on a blessing to those who will come after us. The the reason this passage tells us about us is that we too have the opportunity to bless those who will come after us. I'm not just talking about our biological children, I'm talking about our spiritual children. What is it that that will be our legacy to the next generation who who live and worship, who, who laugh and cry in this building What are we going to pass on to those who are yet to come? That's the question, isn't it? You know, when I joined the Uniting Church as a fresh-faced minister, there were around 2,400 Uniting Churches in the country. I heard during the week that there is now precisely 1,633. In my ministry life, Nearly 800 churches have closed. We should be weeping about that. And the number is decreasing rapidly. And our state and our presbytery is not exempt from what's happening. Too many of our churches have lived for now without an eye on the future and who is to come. Too many of our churches have made decisions on what's best for them rather than what's best for those who don't belong. We cannot be like that. I understand that quite a few years ago, probably the most influential senior pastor that this church has ever had asked a generation to stand aside so that there might be room for the next generation to find a home. And to their credit, that generation stood aside. And look what happened. This church grew, engaged a whole new cohort, a new generation, and we see the fruits of that every time we step foot in this building, join a small group or a team. We are the benefactors of that courage and obedience to the Spirit. My friends, let me tell you with all honesty, the time is upon us now for us to do the same thing for the next generation. To ask, who are we here for? To contemplate our legacy, to make room for another generation. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm blessed to see right across all of Seeds, but we have a huge gap in certain age groups. Age groups that should be here amongst us. It's time those of us 
who are in our 50s, 60s and older give up our wants, our desires, our preferences and serve another generation. A generation who are not here amongst us. I know some of you don't like the music. You've told me. I know some of you don't like certain instruments. You've told me as well. I know some of you don't like don't know why we do certain things and you don't like the way we do it. You've made it really clear. You can imagine how in a church this size how much I do here. But it's not about you. It's about serving Jesus and making space for those who don't belong. It's about making sure this church engages, relates and speaks the gospel to a generation who desperately need to hear it. Because if we allow our wants, our needs, our preferences to rule this church, it will die as fast as we do. Christianity is only ever one generation away from dying. And we will end up being a group of dwindling members and eventually our building that was put here for the glory of God will be a gym or a chemist or a real estate office. But if we are brave, if we have courage and boldness and conviction that God is calling us, that we truly are the children of God, that we inherit the family of God, if we lay down our demands, our likings, our particularities, then we open the door to the Spirit of God moving in us through us to reach another generation for Jesus. Imagine this place filled with young marriage and young families. Can you imagine that? I can. Can you imagine this place filled with young adults, with people in their 30s? I can see it in my mind's eye. Do you know there are a heap now who are in their 30s who are jaded with the world and their careers? They've been led to believe that if they study hard, work hard, they will find success and happiness. But you know, all they're finding is the burden of mortgages, a fickle job market, and no satisfaction. They're worried about life. Have a conversation with a 30 year old and just see how tired they are. Can you believe it? They need community, they need love, they need a place to hear about purpose that goes beyond the nine to five rat race. My friends, they need Jesus. And in this suburb, where are they going to hear it unless we make space for them and share it in a way they can understand? I know those of you who are in your 50s and over are going to say to me, it's not fair, Jonathan. We're the ones paying for this church. And I suspect that's pretty true. Those of us in our latter part of our working life who have had children leave, we have the ability to be far more generous towards God's work here. Let me remind you, remind myself, that that was done to us. And it's our privilege now to pay it forward. 
You know, we have such a large church with all aspects all over the place, but we are so constrained by budgets. You know, I'm looking at the budget for the next financial year at this particular moment, and uh, my heart sighs a little bit at the inflexibility that we have to push into areas that are glaringly obvious if we owe, but we had the funds. Do you know God needs his people to be generous towards his mission here so that it might expand and grow? We desperately need to employ our next church planter, but there is no room in the budget to do that. And many other things that I could bring before you, competing needs that I wrestle with all the time. It is time that those who are 50 and above, who have far more discretionary funds, actually get serious about tithing to grow this church and give their full 10% in order for this church to grow. And for us to know the simple truth that you cannot outgive God, to find the blessing that comes from being generous towards this place that God has given to us to live, to know the blessing that comes from God in being generous towards God. My friends, it's not about us. We have a legacy we can live into. It's about paying it forward. What, what, is, what is your legacy, spiritual legacy going to be? That's the question, isn't it? What will we step aside and lay down so the next generation can engage? What are we prepared to give up? What are we prepared to pay for another generation to rise up and to take their godly mantle? You know, I've been challenging this myself this week. And I don't want this church and its various campuses or its iterations to reflect the needs and the likes of the senior pastor. That so often happens. That will not happen at this church. We have to be intentional about God's about the people God is calling us to love. Those who are not here, those who need to be here. In this service, what's going to happen next is that we're going to have two empty chairs at the front. Deliberately empty chairs representing those who yet don't belong here. And underneath all the, all the rows, uh, at one end or the other, there is some pens and some sticky notes. And what's going to happen, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And uh, what's going to happen is that in the middle of the next song, there's, there's going to be an opportunity for you. If, you. if you feel some conviction in your heart about those who don't belong, about the generation that are not here, for you to write something on that sticky label and during the second half of that song, to bring it forward and to stick it on one of these two empty chairs. Now you can, you can write, yes, I, I will lay down my needs and my wants or whatever you like. I, I'm just simply going to write my name saying, I'm going to be counted as one who makes space for the next generation. Up to you. Here is your chance to respond in something tangible 
that says to everybody else, I'm serious about this and I want to follow Jesus into whatever next adventure there is. I trust the Spirit of God is moving in your heart like He's moved in my heart this last week. And that you're challenged, if you're not being baptised, to be baptised. You're challenged about your, your giving and you're challenged about making space that others who are not here might be here. Let me lead you in prayer. Father, we, we bless your name. You did this and so much more for us. You poured your life into us in such beautiful, wonderful ways. May we emulate that as a church and follow you on whatever the next path uh, holds for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.